Chapter 8, Revelation 9. The Abyss and Release of the Watchers. Revelation 9 1-11. 1 and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. 2 and he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. 3 and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. 4 And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. 5 And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion, when he striketh a man. 6 And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. 7 And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. 8 And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. 9 And they had breastplates, as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. 10 And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. 11 And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Joshua ben Yusuf secretly had teams of archaeologists working in different places around the world. One team in particular was led by world-renowned archaeologist Chandler Davidson. They were searching for antediluvian artifacts and excavating monoliths all around the vicinity of ancient Anatolia, Babylon, and Samaria. Today they were searching the area of Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. He had the archaeologists following the diary of a 19th century explorer and archaeologist by the name of Maxwell Oppenheim. Joshua Ben Yusuf had been given the diary by a very high-ranking naval contact in America, Admiral Armoros. The diary had led the team to many artifacts that Ben Yusuf had been very excited about. He had them digging at various locations along the Tigris and Euphrates beginning in Turkey and finally to their latest dig site in northeastern Syria. It was originally discovered by Oppenheim himself in 1899. The dig at Tel Halif had not been excavated for many years and had just resumed only months prior, but Chandler felt confident that he could deliver on time. When the Prime Minister Yusuf reached out to him in April, Chandler had been apprehensive because he had been injured at the previous dig that the diary had led him to in Eridu. The largest most horrific creature that Chandler had ever seen was apparently living inside an ancient temple that they had excavated in Eridu. The beast would have looked human if it wasn't for his 10-foot height, six digits on his hands and feet, and the enormous fangs he used to almost drain Chandler of all of his blood. The pain from the creature's bite had lasted over a month, although it had deteriorated over time. After a couple weeks, Chandler had become somewhat accustomed to the ache in his neck. Even though he was apprehensive, Chandler made sure to accept the opportunity without pause from the man who had been dubbed by every major religion as the Savoir of the world. The last thing he wanted was to have a man powerful enough to bring peace to the Middle East upset with him. The rest of his team were even more apprehensive. Janet reluctantly agreed to help, and it took some effort to sway Kimberly and David to his side. Scotty who had been working with Chandler the longest, 
was having nothing of it and a day after Chandler reported back to the Prime Minister, Scotty was found dead in his apartment. It was clear that this wasn't a man who took no for an answer. The new guy Robert was an adequate enough addition to the team, but Chandler missed Scotty's knowledge of ancient civilizations. Robert, can you grab the notebook from my tent? Chandler asked. It's on the nightstand next to my bed. The one great thing about working for someone as powerful as Joshua Ben Yusuf, he spared no expense. Their tent complex seemed more like a large home than a tent. The beds were comfortable and it had many of the modern comforts that society relied on. Chandler didn't know the significance of the artifacts that Prime Minister Yusuf desired, but he knew that they dated back to the early Halif period, which presumably took place between the 3rd and 4th millennia BC. He just knew that it was important to the man he'd come to partly worship, but mostly feared and was therefore important to him and his team. Finding the entrance to the Western Palace was the first point of interest for the team. Joshua Ben Yusuf recommended they start there. When Max von Oppenheim first discovered the site in 1899, the Western Palace had been completely buried by sand. It had been the story from a local villager that prompted Oppenheim to dig a test pit. This test pit uncovered the entrance to the Western Palace. Because he didn't have permission to excavate, it wasn't until 1911 that Oppenheim was able to return to the site and continue his exploration. Here, Robert said, as he handed Chandler the notebook. Chandler held Oppenheim's diary in his hand as he wondered at the trials that Oppenheim went through to bring so many artifacts back to Berlin, only to have them destroyed in a fire caused by British bombing efforts during World War II. Although some of the sculptures had been recreated out of tens of thousands of fragments, many of the artifacts still remained broken. It was the Scorpion's Gate which piqued Chandler's interest. The winged scorpion men that guarded the entrance were of vast importance. It was a creature similar to the tattoo on the giant vampire creature who attacked him in Eridu. For the longest time, Chandler tried to convince himself that he was wrong, but in the end, he determined that so much of what the world called mythology was turning out to be true. Who knows what type of monsters existed, still exist, for all I know, Chandler said under his breath. What? Janet asked, as she walked up to him. Chandler ignored her question and flipped to the page marked by a red ribbon and quickly reread Oppenheim's notes about what lay beyond the Western Palace entrance. His notes reference a door several meters past the Scorpion Gate, Chandler explained. Janet nodded and was about to reply when Chandler continued, the Scorpion Gate once stood there, pointing forward. Chandler looked to the northern horizon, past the Haber River and toward the neighboring city of Selampener, Turkey, which lay on the border between Syria and Turkey. The entrance is somewhere between here, Chandler said, pointing at the hole where the scorpion men who guarded the scorpion gate were found, and there, he added, pointing to the southern edge of the citadel. The citadel was uncovered in the early 2000s by a group of archaeologists. We've dug down almost three meters and still haven't found any evidence of this door, Janet replied. Chandler only nodded and smiled as he felt his hand fall upon a lever, a mixture of fear and excitement surged through his body when his hand fell upon the lever. Gripping the lever, Chandler pulled toward him and the team heard a satisfying click. Before their eyes, a rectangular outline began to appear. As Chandler removed his hand from the hole, the sand that lined the rectangle began to fall. Within minutes, the sand ceased to drop and the clear outline of the door was visible. 
Chandler gave a slight push on the rectangular door and the team began their historic journey. Grabbing a flashlight and a headlamp from Janet, he turned and led the way into the unknown. A small room opened up around them as the team entered, bringing light where none had been for thousands of years. The walls were covered with paintings and carvings. The central figure was Enki himself, with a river flowing from both of his shoulders. The god of fresh water indeed, Chandler whispered. The team was giddy with anticipation and could barely contain themselves. What is this? Kimberly asked. Kimberly was the youngest member of the team but she was very qualified and had proven herself, nearing her one year anniversary with the group. She was pointing at a carving of a winged horse-like creature with a woman's face. Its long tail curled upward over its back and had a scorpion-like stinger at the end. Chandler moved toward the figure and slowly shook his head. In all his long years of study, he'd never seen anything like it. It was unlike any creature found in Sumerian or Akkadian mythology. I don't know what that is, Kimberly. It is something that I've never seen. David lifted his camera and took a picture of the amazing beast. He'd been with Chandler the second longest, but he was the oldest member of the team at 53. Scotty rounded out the group before he had been killed but now Robert was the final member of the team. His specialty was Mesopotamian mythology and lore. Although not wanting to leave the exquisitely preserved room, Chandler urged his team forward through a doorway to the right. An equally striking hallway ran approximate 10 feet before making way to a rectangular shaft that went downward. A stone staircase led downward around the outer walls of the space, with a small three-foot square landing in each corner of the shaft. In the center, there was a small four-by-four-foot opening, whose bottom couldn't be seen. Chandler popped a light stick and dropped it into the opening. The stick fell what looked to be 40 or 50 feet, and provided a view of the four sections of stairway on each wall. Let's go, Chandler said, waving them forward. The walls of the shaft were carved and painted similarly to the entrance room and hallway. When they reached the bottom of the fourth section of stairs, Chandler found an arched doorway to his left. Beyond the arch, a passage led approximately 10 feet before turning left 45 degrees and traveling 10 feet more. Chandler let out an audible gasp when the room around him became clearer. Incredibly, the room was a perfect hexagon, with each wall adorned with unimaginable imagery. The ceiling rose more than 60 feet in a perfect hexagonal cylinder, capped off with a painting that rivaled Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. We need to set up lights throughout this room. Robert and Kimberly go up and get our big lights. I'd like them set up within the hour, Chandler commanded. As Robert and Kimberly rushed back to the surface, Janet spoke. Chandler, you have to see this. Janet stood at the center of a dark circle that was aligned perfectly in the middle of the room. Playing the sound of his heavy boots stopped him in his tracks. That sounded like metal. He went down on one knee to better examine what seemed to be a metal plate that made up the huge circle. This can't be, Chandler mumbled, as he brushed the dust across the metal floor. Metallurgy wasn't known in this region until the 6th century BC. Look at this carving, Janet exclaimed. Chandler stood and made his way to where she was standing. What is this? Janet questioned, pointing at the seven-headed beast that graced the center of the plate. Shaking his head, Chandler replied, I have no earthly idea what that is. Janet, this is impossible. 
the ancient Sumerians didn't have the knowledge, let alone the tools, to craft something like this in metal. How big do you think this plate is? 50 feet in diameter, maybe? Chandler replied. Incredible. That doesn't even begin to describe it. What do you think it is? I'm sorry, Janet, but I'm at a total loss. I thought I knew everything there was to know about the Sumerian civilization, but this writing is unknown to me. This isn't Sumerian or Akkadian, Chandler replied, as he brushed his hands over the script inlaid in metal. Boss, look at this, David declared. He was standing next to one of the six walls. Chandler and Janet walked over to him. Before them, the massive walls along with the huge metal plate with the image of the seven-headed beast, were covered in an ancient language that definitely wasn't ancient Sumerian or any language that they recognized. Chandler looked at David and Kimberly, let's head back up to the surface for a minute. I want to make a quick phone call. The three of them climbed the ancient stairs and had just reached the surface when suddenly there was a low sounding of what many Jewish scholars would have identified as a shofar. American students of music may have thought it to be a trombone or a trumpet. The low sound raised an octave and then faded away. What was that? Kimberly asked, as she came up from behind. I don't know, but I swear I heard something that sounded exactly like that before the volcanoes erupted all over the world and again before that asteroid hit. David told her in a scared voice. I knew coming here was a bad idea, Robert exclaimed. Calm down, nothing bad is going to happen to us here. Chandler began when suddenly there was a shimmer over the Haber River. At first it reminded Chandler of a rainbow or maybe the Aurora Borealis. Just above the river was a layer of green light and above that, a layer of reddish pink that blended into a purple, ending in a layer of blue that extended upward. The entire rainbow was at least 100 feet tall and stretched out across the horizon, seemingly following the path of the river. What the? David trailed off. Chandler turned to David. I have no idea. The light show lasted several minutes before there was a sudden flash and accompanying crackle. It reminded Chandler of sparks that might jump from an electrical outlet when a short was present. With the flash, the rainbow was replaced by an endless black curtain that followed the same path. The sky seemed to darken a bit and suddenly there was a sonic boom and the brightest flash any of them had it ever seen. Then, standing in front of them was the most beautiful man that any of them had ever seen and seemed to literally glow. So beautiful in fact, Chandler was very sure that this was no man who now stood in front of him. Chandler was about to open his mouth to ask what he now believed was an angel, where he had come from and what was going on, when the man waved his hand and Chandler and his entire team passed out. The angel walked away from the sleeping archaeologist and made his way down into the ancient chamber that held the door to the abyss. The angel took out an ancient-looking key that was at least a half a foot long and bent down to the door of the abyss. Underneath the image of the seven-headed beast a keyhole up here and inserted the key, turned and then removed it. He climbed stairs to the surface and was gone as fast as he arrived. Down in the ancient chamber the door to the abyss slid open and a low series of howls rose from the uncharted depths. A thunderous sound began to grow out of the hole. Clunk, clunk suddenly, the ceiling cracked into six triangular sections and began to open. Dirt and dust began to fall from the broken ceiling of the chamber. Clear of debris, the ceiling now opened to the sky above as the thunderous sound grew from below. 
Lucifer materialized from out of the spirit realm into the room just as thick black smoke shot out of the hole and continued upward out through the ceiling. Moments later the first creature shot out from the hole. The thing was hideous. It had four legs and was at least twice the size of a large horse. Its wings spanned 20 feet in either direction. The most surprising aspect of the monster was its human-like face. Its face was twisted and evil-looking and only slightly less terrifying, a long scorpion-like tail that swung out over its body. Riding the creature was a fearsome-looking watcher wearing what looked a lot like the armor of a Roman soldier, with a crown on his head. Lucifer smiled an insidious smile. Apollyon my friend, you are free, Lucifer yelled, as the rest of the hellish horde appeared. Apollyon commanded the creatures in some unknown language as they exited their prison, before turning back to Apollyon who turned to Lucifer. Master, we are here to serve, Apollyon exclaimed. You know what must be done, Lucifer replied as Apollyon leapt into the air on the beast and flew out into the sky. The last of the monsters exited the shaft and continued to fly upward, but at the last minute, one turned and flew back down. It made a beeline for Chandler, who had just come to and began to run. Chandler ran toward the passage, but was too late. The beast was on him in the blink of an eye. The monster held him down as it turned to face him. The human-like face looked upon him with delight and began to smile. Its teeth looked more like the fangs of a lion. Chandler couldn't help but remember being attacked by the giant vampire as he prepared himself for a painful death. But just as fast as it landed upon him, the creature released him and flew away, almost like it had been summoned. Chandler didn't have a clue what was going on but one thing was for sure, he was out of this line of work. 